my dad would come and be very upset with me and say, you don't have the leeway to slack off here. You will not be able to make an income from your body. It was the message was always clear, like stop goofing off because you have to be on top of things way more than most other people in the world. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. Good morning and afternoon, Mentor Box podcast listeners. My name is Joy Folks. I am the Chief Content Officer here at Mentor Box. You rarely hear my voice, but occasionally I pop in to interview some of our favorite mentors, talent, authors, leaders, and in this case, dating coaches. Um, I am privileged to have Amin Lagani on this podcast today. Amin recorded um, lessons for both men and women on how to enter the dating sphere. Amin, can you tell us, our listeners, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Joy. And uh, I'm thrilled that I get the special treatment of having you uh, on the podcast with me. So my name is Amin. I'm a dating coach out of Seattle, and I am, well, I guess you can't see, but I, I use a wheelchair, and that was something that really worked against me in terms of feeling like I could make friends or go on dates. So I really struggled with that growing up. I had a disability since birth. It was very challenging for me to overcome that, to make friends, to go on dates, but I was very successful in my studies and in my corporate life, I actually worked at Microsoft for a few years. Uh, I went to an Ivy League school, so everything was going great in that part of my life. But I was really missing the human connection. And I decided to hire my own dating coach, figure it all out. And it got to the point that I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to help other people do the same. And that's what I do now. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about working at Microsoft, do you think that working for a huge, huge company, you would have plenty of relationships? You would have people to eat with. You would have, you know, people to talk to after work. There's a built-in infrastructure of culture there. How did you feel alone in that situation? That's true. There's a lot of people available, but I think you still have to do a lot of the work to make it happen. Like I, when I first got to Microsoft, I didn't know how to do any of that. And I would go to the cafeteria and just grab my lunch and go back to my desk because it was like high school all over again, where I was afraid to go sit with people and I didn't know who wanted me to sit with them. 
Uh, also in the tech world, there's, there's a lot of dudes. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity for dating at work. I had to find those opportunities outside of work. Uh, and I think those, while the people are there, you still need to initiate conversation. You still need to be a sociable person. You still need to make yourself available, put yourself out there to try and form those connections. And that's what I found when I first started that I, I thought that suddenly I would have all these friends because I have a lot in common with all these people. We have similar interests. Like you have to be pretty nerdy to be working at a big tech company. And I thought, oh yeah, I'll totally go along with these people. But I ran into the same issue where I just felt alone and I didn't, I didn't have my people, so to speak. So what was the spurring moment where you felt like you wouldn't ever be able to find your people? I mean, it's one thing, I think, when you started a new company, three months, four months, it's going to be hard. But when can you actually tell yourself, this isn't working, I need to take a different tactic? I think if you've, I think you just look at the history of your, what you do with your sort of free time at work. Are you eating lunch always by yourself? Are you... Uh, seeing people outside of work, uh, or do you just kind of see them when you get in, and then you you never do anything with them outside of work? I think it's a little easier in the beginning because there's often groups that organize new hires, especially at these large companies like Microsoft has. Uh, I think you get put into like a listserv with all the people that started around the same time as you, kind of like your class. So, or there's even if you're like a college hire, there's a new grad uh, social email list where people organize things. And so you believe that those groups are going to help you, but if you get past the newness and it's still not, you know, built out, you're not really there yet, right? Right. So when you're talking to the people you're coaching, um, how do you tell them to, you know, ask to sit with someone at lunch? So I say to start by forming connections with the people that you're already working with because going to the lunchroom and then asking someone to sit with them is if you haven't really talked to them outside of a work or professional conversation can be like asking a girl out as the first question when you see her, right? Mm -hmm. That could be, it's like going from zero to 60 very, very fast. So I suggest starting by just creating those connections, starting to get to know people outside of their professional role in the company or whatever you're in. And was I going to share how to do that? Yes, that would be wonderful. So I think the best way to do this is to look at the clues people leave, especially around their offices. So I did this very early on. When I started at Microsoft, I befriended a lot of the people on my team by just, you know, I would be in their office to ask them a question about something and I would notice something and comment on it. So one guy, I saw that he had a lot of pictures of mountains around his office. And so I just asked him about it one day. I said, oh, are you, you know, why do you have all these pictures of mountains? And he, ta- he talked to me for like 10 or 15 minutes about his uh, mountain climbing adventures. And he showed me more pictures. And I just kept asking follow-up questions. And then I understood, okay, like this guy loves to talk about mountain climbing. And it's actually quite interesting to me too, because I've never had that experience. Uh, So to be able to hear about it from someone firsthand was super interesting for me. And I got to 
know this person in a context other than our professional relationship. Uh, another person I worked with, I saw that he had a flag from a country that I didn't recognize. So I just asked him, I said, oh, where's that flag from? And he said, Ethiopia. And so I asked him if he was Ethiopian. And he said, yeah. And I heard about Ethiopian food and I was curious about it. So I just asked him, I said, hey, do you know of any good restaurants? And if you went, what would you tell, what would you suggest I get? Like, what's like the signature dish for Ethiopian cuisine? And he loved talking about Ethiopia because it was very dear to him. And I would ask him all kinds of questions about it. And he would always tell me things about it. So we started to connect in that way. And I got to know him a little bit more. And then when I'd see them, you know, then I would, when I was time for lunch, I would go swing by their office and say, uh, hey, do you want to go grab lunch? And it felt much more easy to do that than if I didn't know them at all or I'd only really talk to them in a professional context. That's brilliant. So that reminds me a lot of, you know, Dale Carnegie's uh, train of thought, right? You want to approach people and you want to get them to talk about what they're truly passionate about because it opens up a new lens of your relationship. Are you a big Dale Carnegie fan? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of my philosophy is built from reading that book initially of, uh, it's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. So many people that have written a lot more material on the subject, myself included, but that was really the perennial work that uh, a lot of it is based on. And if you read that and understand that, you'll be well on your way to forming those connections. Do you think uh, how to win friends and influence people is still applicable to our daily life? Oh, absolutely. Because there's there's so many principles in there that are just uh, like I, I'm a dating coach, but I often am coaching people on how to just have human connection. And even though we live in a digital world where we're all interconnected and uh, there's new ways to connect to people, I think ultimately what we all crave is that real human connection. And I think what Dale uh, Carnegie focused on that makes it still applicable is, are those basic things, are smiling, speaking slowly, getting people to talk about themselves and using someone's name, using someone's names. Exactly. It is phenomenal how great those things work, even in digital communication. I will say that it's one of the most successful books on our mentor box platform. I still see it selling on a daily basis. Um, it's something that I only found late in life, but there are certain rules there, just like the four agreements or, you know, any other seminal uh, self-development works that really impacts us. I read this amazing article in the New Yorker recently uh, that was asking this question, like, why is this book still relevant today? And there are certain things, like, I think that you probably know this from Microsoft, that, you know, people in tech encourage people to disagree, to actively disagree, which is exactly the opposite of what Dale Carnegie says, right? If you're going to complain, keep it to yourself. So I think there are things that you have to, you know, adapt for your own environment. Um, but certainly for making connections, he's a brilliant thought leader. And I highly suggest any listener who hasn't picked up his book should definitely do so. Yeah, I think one of the most important things you touched on is that focused attention, uh, which in the world of digital communication, because our attention is so, there are so many more things that are demanding our attention. It's very, very hard to give that focused attention. 
But ultimately, that is the path towards real, genuine human connection. And it is the most powerful thing because with every passing day, it becomes more and more rare to receive. So how do you teach your, um, how, how would you like me to call them? Your men- clients. mentees? Clients. Okay. Yeah. How would you instruct your clients to make meaningful connection through digital space? I think that's definitely the hardest part. I would focus on a few things. I'd say in digital communication, there's not a lot of other information. Like when you're talking to someone, you can see a lot of nonverbal cues. You can see their general demeanor. And with digital communication, a lot of that gets lost because it's all very Mm text-based. So I think it's very important to be mindful uh, to, I think it's surprises me how little people proofread their messages. I think it's very important to write something out and look it over, make sure you spell things correctly, make sure you've uh, added emotion where you can to show if you're joking about something like emoticons or emoji or whatever the platform enables you to do. Uh, And then I think it's all about being concise because like I said, there's so many things demanding our attention. If you're not concise and to the point, it's very easy for people to just start glazing over what you're trying to say. How many exchanges do you think are appropriate before you meet in real life or asked to meet in real life? So is this in a dating context or? Exactly. So let's say you're on you know, Bumble or Tinder or OkCupid. Are you encouraging your clients to be meeting people online? Are you encouraging them to meet in real life? How does that work? I say both. And I say, well, I say in in real life is a must and online is an optional supplement. Because if you do online dating, you still have to be able to do the in-person stuff. And if you're not practicing that regularly and meeting people in person and trying to build that connection, if you actually do manage to land the date, it's you're going to screw it up when you actually get to meeting a person because you might be really good at texting, but you won't have those skills to connect with someone in real life. I want to pivot a little bit here and just talk about community. I think that, you know, what's really meaningful for me when I read your story and I reached out was that, you know, this wasn't just about dating. This wasn't just about relationships. This was about building a community and having a support system. I think that when you're really alone, which is very common, right? A mass amount of people in America right now are um, only having- Everyone feels alone. Yes. I I have this vast network of friends, but I I still feel alone. I I think it's natural for us to crave that human connection. It's- um, that all these trends are quite unnatural for people to be living by themselves, very isolated. Uh, So it's absolutely, it's common. How do you uh, encourage someone to, you know, work their way away from that loneliness? I think that, you know, there may be this conversation about, you know, just generally what is your current mood versus, you know, a stigma of consistent loneliness. Well, I guess looking at... An example I used, something I used very early on was I would, I'm very much into my calendar, right? I'm a very planned out person. And I would look at my calendar and I would have all these work things. And then every evening on my, on my calendar was empty. And seven out of seven days, 
of the week, I had nothing going on. And now I look at my calendar and I see, okay, maybe four or five days a week, I have something going on, whether it's as simple as a phone call with a friend, or tonight I'm going to play board games with some friends, or I'm going to an archery class. I'm just going out and doing something to make sure that I am not just cooped up because I work from home. So I could feel this even more acutely just to make sure I'm not just working the entire time. And I'm actually making an effort to uh, continue to build my social life because it's not something that you build once and then you're done. It's something that you have to continuously work on and you have to continuously plant new seeds because there's no guarantee that a certain person will stay in your life. Uh, I don't mean that in a morbid way, but just like people move away or people grow apart or they get different interests and you have to always be on top of it, always be uh, planting new seeds, meeting new people so that, because you're going to change too, your interests are going to change as well. So you can continue to explore the relationships that you want to explore uh, throughout the rest of your life and have options for things to do on different days of the week. It sounds like this is a game of numbers, right? That you're consistently prospecting. You're looking at data to see, you know, what interactions you have had, you haven't had, and how to continue to fill that time. Right. I mean, I think when people say it's a numbers game, it can be, it can feel a little cold and heartless, but it's not. It's I want to find a better phrase for that. I think not a numbers game, but it's a it's, it's planting seeds. It's planting seeds and hoping that they grow, but knowing that not every seed is going to grow because not, everyone's also, not everyone has time to add a new friend to their life either. Certainly not. I mean, I can speak just from a startup perspective, but a friend takes a lot of time. Uh, yeah, it does. You know, not only just thinking about them on a regular basis, making sure that you're consistently on their mind, that you're giving as much as you're taking, but... Um, you know, just the act of meeting someone <laughs> absorbs a lot of time, you know? It does. And it also, it doesn't just happen. Like you really have to put some thought. I think there was, I had this excitation and I think it might exist for others is that, you know, you should just magically have a active social life. And through learning it myself, I realized that it doesn't work. Like I have a task on my task list every Sunday which is like a running list of people that I feel uh, that I want to keep connected to. And I make it a point that if I, you know, sometimes I hear from them, sometimes I don't, but I make it a point just to make text them like on Sunday and say, Hey, like, I'd like to see you this week. You know, are you available this time and to make plans and to be active about it? Cause otherwise you just, you don't, nothing happens and you get into a pattern of, just staying home every night. So I want to go back to your business a little bit. I mean, first and foremost, when does someone know it's the right time to reach out to you? What should they be looking for in their lives that you can coach them through fulfilling? I think the time to reach out to me or any coach is when you've tried things and you've noticed that they've consistently not worked. Uh, I think a lot of times people will reach out for help, but they haven't yet tried anything. And that's just a recipe for disaster because they're just looking for, they're just looking for the ultimate answer. And in reality, it just, it takes a lot of hard work to get any results in life. So if you're not already putting in effort 
and working on it a little bit. If you're still, if you're always staying home, if you're never trying to talk to a colleague, if you're never trying to go up and show somebody you're romantically interested in them, more information is not going to help you. The information I have to give or anyone has to give, I don't think is drastically different than the information that's out there that's freely available or available in one of these great books that you might get from MentorBox. Uh, so it's really about when you've tried things and they haven't worked. And that's when I hired my dating coach because I read a bunch of material and then I just went out and started doing it. And after six, seven months, I was like, you know, this is feeling weird. It's not working. People are not responding. So I need to do something different. So it was kind of at, at that, I was at that breaking point of like, okay, I've tried everything I can do and it's not working. How did you find your dating coach? I found him through, I think there's some forum where, or he was, he was actually just hosting an event. Uh, he was hosting an event about, uh, it was called Conversation Secrets. And I thought that was really interesting because that's essentially what I wanted. I wanted to know how to talk to people. Dating was important to me, but at a basic level, I just didn't know how to talk to people. And what did you learn there? How do you talk to people? I learned about smiling and speaking slowly. Those were the two most, those were two pieces of advice that still stay with me. Uh, and I still need to practice them because I do sometimes get excited and speak quickly. But my coach explained that people cannot process information as fast as you can speak it. And if you slow down, it allows them to process what you're saying. And it also shows that you are comfortable. So it allows them to be comfortable with what you are saying. I think that's a great advice. I think that there are certain moments, uh, you know, we had Kelsey Crow come in and she talks about listening and just how valuable it is to allow a space of 10 seconds of silence between an exchange. Someone that is comfortable speaking slowly and thinking you know, very carefully about the choices of the words they use, exude confidence. And we all want to be around confident people, right? Right. Absolutely. What do you think are the characteristics that a person needs to have to be attractive? And I don't mean that physically. I mean to, you know, be magnetic. I believe physical attractiveness does have a part of this. And I'm not saying that you have to change your physical body. But I think the way I suggest this to clients is through the, uh, the clothing that you wear. That makes a big difference. Is it neat? Is it orderly? Is it clean? Is it intentional? Those things exude a certain attractive quality that other people are interested in because it shows that you take care of yourself and that invites people to I think the, the implicit message is that if you take care of yourself, you can take care of others. So physical attractiveness is part of it, uh, or fashion and grooming is part of it. And then other than that, I'd say courageousness. Having the courage to go up to someone and start a conversation, even when you don't know how it's going to turn out, I think it's a very attractive quality because people, most people, there was a, I read a book recently that uh, most people want to have conversations with the people around them, but are too scared to do it. And they see that no one else is doing it. 
So they assume that they're the weird one. And it's this like weird psychological mishap that happens because we think, oh, I'm the only one that wants to talk to people because no one else is doing it. So I should just shut up and not say anything. But most people, when you go up to them and start try to initiate a conversation, they're very warm and open to it. So having that courage makes you attractive. Other things that make you attractive are playfulness. I think when people are very serious and focused, and I, I had this problem where I thought if I was just really smart or if I could talk to people about topics at a very deep level, then they would be interested in me. But yeah, I found that it was through just joking around and showing my personality and being okay with laughing at myself, being okay with saying something dumb and saying, well, that was dumb or that didn't really make sense. Like earlier when I said to uh, Deontay, I was saying, hey, uh, it's nice to see you, but we're not really seeing each other and we're not really talking. And I just said, well, whatever we're doing here. And I laughed it off. I think that's a very attractive quality. Uh, not to toot my own horn and say I'm super attractive. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. For the record, for listeners, Deontay uh, is our sound editor today, and he can only hear me talking. He cannot hear Amin, uh, but the exchange was made uh, through me. I think this is something that I do want to drill down on just because from personal experience, I come from a very serious family. I'm a little too buttoned up, uh, which my bosses love, but my friends not so much. Uh, there's a running joke that I'm referred to as killjoy because I oh. will actively, uh, you know, put a dampener on the point of discussion. So how does one become playful? Sure. So I think especially with people in the tech industry or people that are very intelligent in uh, schoolwork, there's this idea that you have to be right, that being right is correct. Whereas actually the actual thing that's correct for human connection is having, is exchanging energy. And when you're trying to be correct or correct people, or uh, you're trying to get into debates, that is a bit of a, as you said, a killjoy that ruins the mood. So being playful is about just exchanging energy with the other person and laughing at yourself. Now, tools that help with this, I think, are uh, improv class. So I took improv class pretty early in my journey, and it worked wonders in helping me just come up with stuff on the spot because you just don't have time to think. It's also about remembering that the goal in conversation is not to show how smart you are or show how good you are at something. It's about connecting. And it's about letting the other person share about themselves so that they feel connected to you and also trying to make them laugh. I think that's an important part of conversation. I don't know if I answered the question. No, I think that's that's a great suggestion. I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, for people that aren't in urban areas, you know, and they can't go to an improv class, what should they do? And I think that's really a great suggestion, you know, not focusing on being the smartest person in the room or being right, uh, building a little humility, and it doesn't hurt to make fun of oneself every once in a yeah, while. Yeah, being able to laugh at yourself is huge. Other tools that could help are watching stand-up comedy uh, and seeing how they do it and getting a sense of it. Also, if you have someone that is willing to practice with you, you can... Just do this, 
these various games called the free association games where like you come up with a word to start and then the other person uh, says it says the first word that comes to mind related to that and then you just keep bouncing back and forth and you don't actually even need another person you could just do it yourself you could just practice free association just say words aloud as fast as you can and if you do it over and over you start to train your mind to think quickly and to be okay with not having the most brilliant thing come to mind immediately. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be formulaic. It just needs to be associative. Yeah. And if it, and even if it's not, so the other tip I have is to always be ready to laugh at yourself in any context, because if you're not ready to do that, then you put a lot of pressure on what you're going to say. Whereas if you know that whatever comes out, you can laugh at yourself and say, well, that wasn't maybe the most bright thing or, you know, ignore that. Like, I didn't mean that. Then you can get through anything and you feel more free and open instead of trying to be funny. Every Like, if you're really trying hard to be funny, it's not going to come across funny. Let's talk about mentorship for a second, because we are a mentor box after all. What about uh, your parents? What lessons did your parents teach you that you felt sustained you throughout uh, your personal and your professional life? So my parents taught me very early on. uh, Well, my diagnosis happened when I was about two years old. Mm -hmm. And so from a very young age, my parents knew that my body would change and that I wouldn't be able to do as much physical labor or, or that I wouldn't be able to do physical labor in the future for work. So they really pushed me to focus on my education. They said, you're not going to be able to provide value in the world with your body. So you have to be able to provide value with your mind. You have to be able to support yourself with your uh, intellectual contribution to the world. So that instilled in me a very strong work ethic to be very focused on my schooling and to be very focused on educating myself and improving myself and and beyond just education, but just having a very strong work ethic because they basically told me, I mean, you don't have you don't have a fallback option. Like if you don't have work or if you don't have income, you can't just go work at a fast food restaurant and make ends meet. It's, it's just not going to be possible for you. So you better be absolutely certain that you are financially stable. How does one go about having a conversation like that? What do you mean? Like, how was this information communicated to you? At what age? When, when I was younger? Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad, it, was, it would actually happen when I was goofing off. Like when my parents were upset that I wasn't doing my homework or I wasn't giving my focused attention to school, my dad would come and be very upset with me and say, you don't have the leeway to slack off here. Like you're, you will not be able to make an income from your body. Uh, It's hard for me to translate because he said it in a different language. Sure. And it was, the message was always clear, like stop goofing off because you have to be on top of things way more than most other people in the world. Do you find that empowering? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that message, it was tough at times. It's definitely tough to always have that on my back. And sometimes I want to just, you know, I want to be, 
I want to just take it easy. But having that constantly in my mind because I grew up with it, I think has helped me to get to where I am and to accomplish what I've wanted to accomplish. Amazing. That's very inspiring. Talk to me a little bit about the mentors that you've collected, um, you know, since you left home. You know, what was the first person that really guided you um, through your early career? Uh, Yeah, it was actually the guy who hired me uh, at Microsoft. He was my manager's manager for most of the time that I was there. And he kind of, his advice was always just do what you feel is right. Like trust your instincts. I I don't know why, but he really had a lot of faith in me. I don't know where he did, why he decided that, but it seemed like he just decided that my instincts were good. And he gave me that feedback and that motivation. So when I would be sort of butting ahead with the design team, for example, he would say, no, like, I think you have very good points and you just got to stay on top of it and keep doing what feels right to you. And having someone in that position really believe in me and give me the freedom and the license to go off and do what I felt was right was incredible. Uh, And he really gave me a lot of confidence in my abilities by just believing in me. Do you think that having someone in your life that believes in you is crucial to success? Yeah, absolutely. Because I had that with another mentor, which was my dating coach. I think I came to him at the point and I didn't believe that I could be attractive to women because I'd just been crushed by the first girl I had ever really let know that I was interested in her. Uh, She had told me, I don't want to date someone in a wheelchair. I don't know how anyone would want to do that. Like, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I don't want this. And I was crushed. And my coach said to me, look, that's probably going to be the case for 90 or 95% of women in the world. But are you going to let that stop you? Or are you going to keep trying until you find those, that 5%, maybe even that 1% who is interested in you. And the answer is yes, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he didn't sugarcoat it. He was honest with me. And I appreciated that because if he had told me, no, you could be attracted to any woman. If you just do the right things, I would have not, I would have been like, this guy is, you know, he's just making stuff up. Do you think he always provides advice that way? Or do you think it was specifically tailored towards your personality? I think that's just the way he did things. He was just very real and honest and he didn't allow for a lot of BS or any BS. Like he would call you out on it. And I think that's what made him an effective coach. And I think that's what I've, when coaches don't do that, like I have not done that and it just results, it's a disservice to the client. So now I don't, now I'm very clear and honest when I coach people, I don't listen to their BS. I don't let them slide because that's why they're hiring me is to be tough on them to get them the results that they want. If I'm nice, they might feel good, but they don't get the results that they want. And it's not good for them. And it also makes me feel crappy about being a coach. Right. Because you're aligned with their goals. You want them to succeed. Right. What do you think is the most valuable advice you've ever provided someone with? Can I pick two or just one? Two sounds wonderful. Two sounds good. Okay. So first off, I think the most valuable advice 
I've given one of one of the most valuable advices piece of advice I've given is to uh, is to update your wardrobe. It's something I don't know that I feel like people don't talk about it enough, but it makes a huge difference because you look at yourself in the mirror and you just feel amazing, and then you're just ready to take on the world and connect with people, and you you just get started on such a day starts on such a good note when you have a wardrobe that works for you that is not a million things but you have some good standard pieces that you can wear and put together and it just makes you feel good and people comment on it like i think the most bang for your buck you can get with a wardrobe is getting some fun socks like every it's it's crazy everywhere i go people always comment on my socks because people want to talk to each other and they need things to talk about because it's kind of scary unless you do this on a regular basis. It's scary to start a conversation with someone. So when you wear fun socks or you wear something uh, interesting, it gives people an opportunity. It gives them an in. It lets them know that you're not trying to hide who you are and that there is a fun part of you and it invites them to start a conversation. So I think that that advice has worked so well for a client who wanted to be more respected at work, a client who wanted to find love. Um, both of them were very, very successful in that by literally just changing their wardrobe. Uh, one, the client who wanted to be more respected got a ton more respect at work and felt like a peer because before he was dressing, he was dressing like um, a high schooler, honestly. And that's how he, he felt like he was treated by the people that he worked with, like as a kind of less than, but then he started dressing just a little bit more modern and they were treating him very like a professional. And another client changed up his wardrobe. We got some nice pictures of him and he eventually found the love of his life on Facebook. Like he messaged this girl on Facebook and she saw his pictures and that was part of what helped build the deal for him. So that was one piece of advice. The second piece of advice that I think has been, what do you say, most impactful? To just try, to just try and go out there, and that's literally it. Just try, try to connect with people, because the more information you get, the more podcasts you listen to, books you read, videos you watch, it's not ultimately going to change. It's not going to move the needle. What is going to move the needle is actual real life experience. And I think we often get scared and just want to research everything so that we're bulletproof and we know we won't fail, but failure is part of getting better at anything. So go out there and try. I think that definitely relates to, you know, one of those core business concepts, paralysis from analysis, right? You're spending all this time sitting in the back thinking about, you know, the possibilities of what could go wrong or uh, how you may not ever realize your dreams, but in actuality, you're not having any momentum at all. Right. Absolutely. I do want to go back to this concept of getting dressed and, you know, updating your wardrobe just because I think it's an incredibly valuable point. My father passed away very recently and I uh, found a lot of solace in Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, uh, which is uh, the new Netflix series. And one of the things it just talks about is like getting up in the morning and actually spending 10 minutes on yourself, making sure you look how you want to look and that self-care, you know, is super 
super empowering. And, you know, just devoting 30 minutes, setting aside instead of, you know, automatically waking up and looking at your phone, just spending 30 minutes doing moments of self-care, whether that means whitening your teeth or brushing your hair for longer than you normally would, uh, or actually like scrubbing your scalp or buying a new dress. Those things are incredibly valuable to how you look at one yourself and how you exude the confidence of your daily life. So I will say that that advice is so, so valuable. And I'm glad that you're giving it regularly, both for men and women. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Like if you change something up, right? Like you could, like sometimes I was, I was feeling, I was just having a few months where I was just kind of feeling blue or things just felt stale. And so I went and put some blonde streaks in my hair because I hadn't done it in a while. And I just instantly felt better. And every time I, cause you look at your mirror, you look at yourself in the mirror quite often throughout the day, right? Like most people do that. So it depends on the person for sure. <laughs> My mom says that a truly confident person never looks in the mirror, which, I mean, most of us are not confident. So there you go. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. If you really didn't, if it really didn't matter and you were just internally confident. Uh, but I, I, I like looking in the mirror. Well, I look in the mirror like when you go to the bathroom, sure. right? you're going to look in the mirror. Yeah, you, you need to check to make sure you have it all together, right? Right. <laughs> well, why not let the moments where you are going to look at yourself in the mirror, like when you use the restroom, be moments that you get a little boost of confidence. If you like the way you look, you're going to have that little boost every time you use the restroom mm-hmm. or every time you pass by a mirror. You're going to think, oh, wow, I look good. That's going to make you... That's going to make your energy more confident, more inviting, more fun. And that's really what it is at the end of the day. In terms of connecting with people, it's exchanging energy. So if you have a better energy, people are going to be more interested in connecting with you. And you're going to have better connections. If you don't like who you're looking at in the mirror, what do you say to that person? This is one of the most impactful pieces of advice that I got. My coach said, uh, because he asked me one day, he said, do you are you okay with being in a wheelchair? Like, do you, are you comfortable with that? And I, I said, no, I'm not okay with that. I don't like it. I wish I could change it. And he said, okay, well, the advice I have to, for you is if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your opinion about it. And so from that day forward, I changed my opinion about what it means to be in a wheelchair. I used to see it as a sign of weakness, as a, a negative thing about me, a negative trait about me. And so I changed it. I started thinking about it in a different way. I started looking at all the positives that's brought to my life. Uh, I'm extremely memorable. Uh, no one ever forgets me. I can go and talk to people anywhere. I can park really close to the door and most of us, I get great parking. <laughs> uh, I get to skip the line. I get to skip the line at airport security. I get to know people really well because I often need help with things. So I, I end up having these really close friendships. I had a very strong worth, work ethic instilled in me from a young age because of my disability. As I might not be as fortunate education-wise or financially if I didn't have my disability. So I start to see all the positives and start to see 
how it's made me who I am and how I like the parts. I like those. I like who it's made me become. That, it's got me to become it's got me to become the dating coach on wheels and it's extremely memorable. It's I mean it's a marketing advantage, right? Because I if I get on a stage and someone else gets on a stage before either of us have said a single word, I am immediately more impactful just because of my physical form. And that's powerful. I have to say, I'm not sure who deserves more credit here, your uh, mentor or you as the mentee, but uh, your mindset is certainly inspiring and humbling. I'm just so glad to have had been able to have this conversation with you. I mean, can you please tell our members and our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they'd like more advice or if they'd like, uh, you know, some services? What's the best way to be in touch? Sure. It's to go on my website, which is datingcoachonwheels.com, and everything is available there. And our listeners and members don't have to be local to Seattle in order to work with you, correct? Nope. I do remote coaching as well. Incredible. Well, I mean, I want to take it, uh, I want to leave it here. And uh, I cannot wait to release your content on MentorBox Online. I think it's going to be incredibly valuable. And, you know, I know that everyone's going to enjoy uh, seeing you smile and make eye contact and communicate these lessons that you've talked about here. And, Maybe start with the camera a little bit. Exactly, exactly. I know that our uh, our team really enjoyed working with you. I know the green screen made it a blast, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Awesome. Yeah, I had a great time working with them, too, and chatting with you. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm super excited for seeing it come out and seeing the reactions. Amazing. Have a wonderful day, and uh, thank you for listening to MentorBox. Thanks, Joy. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.